high atop the Florida Peninsula at 108 feet. Raider Cop Nation is broadcasting today to give you the very best from the land where legendary pirates were created. This is Alpha Mike. Today's subject, Think Out of the Box, episode number 86. This subject that we're going to talk about is going to be a series of several episodes and that we will have on and off. It is primarily for leaders, whether they're political leaders or law enforcement leaders or community leaders. It is for individuals to think out of the box. Because sometimes when we think in the box, that means everybody's thinking the same. And if everybody's thinking the same, then folks, we have a problem. So we got a lot on the agenda. I am going to really open up the box. We're going to open it up. And we're going to mix it all up. So tell a friend. If you know that knucklehead administrator in law enforcement that just doesn't want to think out of the box because this is the way we do things here, right, wrong, or indifferent. This podcast is for them. Now, before we get into that, you're always asking the same question. How can I connect to you guys? Well, RaiderCopNation.com. There, that will take you to our webpage. You can scroll down and you will see all the other icons of Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all that other stuff. And connect with us. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. We're everywhere. So, there's no excuse. You can connect with us. Also, for you AWOL people, you know, the ones that go to church, True Soldiers on Sunday, AWOL on Monday, we have a program just for you. And the program is Test Everything 1521 on AWOL Monday, where we give you the power of God's Word for less than 15 minutes. Not very long. It's not going to harm you in any way. It's only going to help you if you can listen for less than 15 minutes. What you missed on Sunday, you can pick up on AWOL Monday. And you can get more information on that on RaiderCopNation.com as well. We have a lot on the agenda, folks, so I'm not even going to waste time. We're going to jump right into the leadership quote of the week. This week's leadership quote. Leadership is not a popularity contest. It's about leaving your ego at the door. The name of the game is to lead without a title. Robin S. Sharma. Leadership is not a popularity contest. It's about leaving your ego at the door. The name of the game is to lead without a title. Boy, and this quote is very fitting for today's show. It really talks to me. But we want to talk about some craziness that's happening out there in crazy world that we really know as law enforcement. Law enforcement is the name of the game on this podcast. And we're seeing more and more sinister things come out about the FBI and the Mueller investigation and the Russia this and the Russia that and CIA and this one did that and that one was trying to trick the other one. And more importantly, lying under oath to a federal court system. You remember, swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth to help you God. I do. And then you lie. 
Well, folks, for you and for me, if I was to do that or you were to do that, boy, we would be doing this podcast from a paid telephone inside a facility somewhere in America. It's strange to me how we can hear this on the media. Not every media channel covers it, of course. And nothing is done. It's just taken forever. Of course, the Democrats are just cutting the fool, act, eating Kentucky Fried Chicken in the middle of uh, wing of hearings over in Washington D.C., thinking it's cute, disrespecting people as they go as they move along. The Democratic Party is a train wreck. Now I know that a lot of people don't like to talk about politics. And particularly, politics is a four-letter word on this podcast. But unfortunately, we have to talk politics because politics is talking law enforcement. We find out how politics influences decisions in law enforcement that affect you and I, the listener, the citizen. So therefore, we're forced to talk about it. So we're going to have, of course, on episode 89, down the road in the month of May, we're going to have the conservative liberal point of view, and uh, we are going to do that with the cop. We're going to talk about how important it is to stay on course. Don't go left. Don't go right. Stay on course. Why are these chiefs, sheriffs, and everything else, and FBI agents, running amok and going left or right. So that was uh, episode 89, and that will be down at the end of May. So you catch that if you can. Now, it's time for the meat and potatoes. Folks, there's a lot to really grasp onto here, and I'm going to kind of break this up. There are 17 items on the agenda, so that means we're going to have a pretty long conference here. It's a proven system. At the end, I will tell you where this system comes from and how it could be applicable in anything, especially in today's law enforcement circles. Now, before we get into this, there are many agencies out there that do things because that's the way we do things. We have always done it that way, and who are you to tell us not to do it that way? We're either right, wrong, or indifferent. It doesn't matter. Now, that is the agency that we are talking to today. The agency that has a closed-box system. It is the way it is, and it always will be this way. They don't grow. But unfortunately, for many citizens, there's a lot of things going on in the back curtain that do influence the chief or the sheriff of a specific agency to move on a position. They become political hacks they become overwhelmed with politics. They forget that the bread and butter is law enforcement, and they've moved on to an unelected political office as the chief of police. They now are advocating for things where there is no written policy. They're just jabbering away at the jaws saying whatever they want. 
Now, the problem or the reason that this exists is because the lifespan of a chief or a sheriff is very short. Let's take the sheriff. He's usually an elected constitutional officer of a specific county within the United States. People elect that sheriff. They come in, so they're already inside the political realm. They come in, they make certain short-term goals, and they have four years, very short lifespan, to make their vision a reality. Of course, during their campaign, they ran on certain things that they would change or do. So people have a little bit more of an expectation. Chief of police is usually appointed by a, a governmental legislative body, such as a county or city commission or a town commission or council, and they may have an elected mayor. Sometimes these mayors have a buffer or a speed bump called the city or county or town manager. That individual runs as the evil villain while the mayor is safe in hiding, pulling the puppet strings. Again, we don't know the chiefs of police how long their lifespan may be. It may only last as long as that mayor's term of office lasts. But chief of policing, going back 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, those people were in place for a very long time, much longer than they are today. <clears throat> Therefore, they could do things, create policy, and have excellent results or bad results. Either or, but they had results. Now, I know a lot of you guys are going to say, well, God, during these uh, prehistoric times that you're talking about, there was a lot of civil rights abuse. Yeah, that's probably true, but doesn't mean that the chief or the sheriff was out to lunch. They were just doing what the norm was all around them. Not saying that it was right. I'm saying that they were just a product of their environment. And for a lot of leaders, they are a product of their environment too, where they came from and what they were told. So everybody's bread has to be buttered and usually people tap dance to the person playing the music. Now, of course, constitutionally, you read, when you read Civics 101, you're told that the people, that could be us, are the ones that set the goals and missions of all government. But the truth is a little bit more sinister than that, and I'm not talking about Joe Biden. It's a little bit more sinister in that, well, all the people can't talk, so certain people are talking on our behalf, and there's a lot of puppet stringing behind the curtain. Now, folks, everything that I'm telling you up to now is a recipe for disaster. That's why law enforcement is a runaway train in certain areas. Now, specifically, I'm going to turn to one example, and that will be the NYPD, the New York City Police Department, largest police force in the United States. We're going to specifically talk about, very briefly, the Giuliani era when he was mayor. Rudy Giuliani was mayor of the city of New York. And they enforce quality control issues or quality of life issues. Uh, vagrants, uh, people urinating in public, people playing three-card Monty. I know, what the hell is three-card Monty? We'll post it on the show notes so you can see. And uh, those little quality of life issues, police dealt with because it would prevent larger crime. That was the theory. And, of course, as we know, it was a proven theory. One of the successes of the Giuliani era was to clean up Times Square, which was a filth uh, area, filthy area back in the 70s. So he did that. But now we have Mayor de Blasio, better known as a.k.a. de Bozo Big Bird, and the quality of issue is slowly sinking. Crime 
is creeping up. Things that were unheard of just recently are now more prevalent in the news. He's allowed things as, oh, you know, no enforcement of certain low-level crimes, as they call them, big pressure of an advocate of marijuana smoking. Uh, the word is him and his wife are avid marijuana users at Greasy Mansion, <coughs> where a big fan was developed. So the security detail they have, I guess, wouldn't get any secondhand smoking from the puffing going on. So the fan blows on the outdoor in the backyard, and they're back there lighting up fat ones. That's the mayor of New York City now. A kook if there ever was one. But he has really suppressed the New York City Police Department and how it works. And the numbers are now starting to go upwards. Now, the reason I use this example, and I can use others, is to show you that politics can either have a strong hand in crime or a weak hand in crime. Each one of them have a reason or a manipulation to either be strong or weak. As a result, those individuals, the power brokers that the citizens have voted in, in this case, the mayor, they have now decided to go either or. Of course, the chief or commissioner of the police department is the strings are pulled and by the puppeteer, and they do as they are told. So you've gotten kind of the bridge where we're, we're going to cross, and we're going to head into <coughs> how to have a system that it doesn't have all this interference. First, I'm going to tell you what you should have in place, and then slowly we're going to start looking at how the, the citizenry constitutionally should demand to have these things like yesterday. All right, first thing on the agenda, we have long-term philosophies. Society in America now is everything's a short-term goal. Mayors and city council members and commissioners, they want a a short little one-liner so they can give their briefing of the state of the city, the county, whatever it is. So they want that one-liner. So there are short-term goals. That's all they do. Long-term goals went out the window. But if you had long-term philosophy, you would be successful. Item number two, the right process will produce the right results. Now, the process is where it gets a little fickled. It changes depending on who's leading. Let's take an example, simple one. Hiring practices. Well, it should be kind of carved in stone. Many of you would say or think there's X amount of positions open for, let's say, a police department, and there's X amount of applicants, and they get processed. But it's not that easy. First of all, you have to define how many openings there are. There are ghost jobs in law enforcement, folks. Remember, we talked about that once. I believe the episode was called Credit and Debit, (coughs) where they are not currently hiring for a position, but the position's on the books. And maybe in the future, they'll hire. So that's a ghost job. It's an actual body. We're not going to fund it this season, but we'll fund it next season or another season. So they leave their cards in their pocket while they're playing three-card money. They have the advantage. So in in this process, we have to come up with a number. So let's be very simple with this. 100 applicants are needed for the yearly budget of a police department A. But from the 100 that they need, 1,000 have applied. Well, we're over by 900. So how do you do it? First come, first serve, size order, alphabetical order. How do I pick 
the 100 from the 900? Or do I just process all 1,000 and then I just pick and choose the ones I like? Oh, don't work like that because there have been things that have created us to do it differently and they are called the lawyer. The lawyers have been effective in suing, suing, suing. So therefore, now this civil service position will be randomly selected, most likely by, let's say, something like a computer that will spit out who gets picked to go for processing before someone else. Now, sometimes you can manipulate those numbers to say, well, maybe I want more certain individuals of an ethnic persuasion than over others. Not saying that that exists, I'm saying I'm sure there's some programming that will make it happen. Maybe you might say, well, this law enforcement agency is predominantly male chauvinist pig. Get it? So we're going to go ahead and hire some more women. But I'm not saying that that's the case either. But what I am saying is you can play around with the numbers. So you basically throw the numbers in there. You've you got 900 applicants over for the given year, and some do, somewhere during the process, they're going to break it down to how many in each class, <clears throat> and it's going to be a quarterly class and so forth, and there's a number for each class. So let's say 125 for classes. That gives us the 100. Then we have to factor in the failure rate, let's say, you know, Simple. Let's go simple. 10% fail out of the 100. That's 10. So we got to factor in 110. Now, this would be our academy class. Now, this is a far cry from yesteryear where they used to pick you. The bigger, the better. You kind of, um, you make a good police officer. You make a good correctional officer <clears throat> type of thing. And, and they would pick you. Nowadays, it's supposedly done randomly and in the blind. So, curve, making a system that works for everybody, not necessarily depending on some buttons and some computer, that someone, <coughs> excuse me, along the line could, could, could manipulate. Number three, develop your people. I'm sure a lot of you guys have gone to training in your agency. And there are those people in your agency that go to every training course ever created in the history of that department. Their ass is per permanently glued to a chair in the classroom. They do nothing but go to class, know everything, but do simply zero for the agency. I'm sure you've noticed who they are. I know I saw plenty of them in my career. They are the teacher's pet that get to go to these events. So when we say develop your people, we mean all your people and create a program for that. Continuously solving root problems and learning. This, my friend, should be the purpose of planning, development, policy, procedure, and training. Those three elements should be a part of that one element. So you're learning from your mistakes, but you have to <coughs> say, I've made a mistake. Now, a lot of time, a lot of agencies, they take too long, and sometimes they don't do it at all to make any Redemption and say, we made a mistake. Or the system could have worked better and we failed and we're going to go ahead and improve it. They will act like General Motors, look the other way and act like, what? We got a problem with transmissions? When did that start? And not really have a quality control in identifying problems in the agency. So that's a big one. Number five, level out the workload. Work smart. There are many P 
people in an agency that do nothing. Usually the way it works is you got a couple of workhorses in a unit. You'll work them to death while the rest of them watch with their hands in the pocket, do nothing, and take the credit along with the workhorse. But the workload should be evened out. I know you're thinking, what is this guy talking about? This doesn't happen. Of course it does. There are certain assignments that supervisors will give to excellent officers besides the mediocre and the ones with two left feet. Because every agency has those people. But the workload should be equal for everybody in the structure of the agency because this is going to help us as we go down the road. Number six, build a culture of stopping or slowing down to fix problems. Many times the agency discovers that they have a problem within their ranks. It could be a policy or procedure. And all of a sudden it's the deer in the headlights. Nobody will make a decision. The chief all of a sudden is on vacation. Nobody will make a call. And this thing just festers like fungus. There has to be a culture where we immediately, someone, anybody on the assembly line has the power to stop the assembly line and say stop. And then we can fix what's broken. That culture has to exist. It has to be a quality approach from top to bottom, from bottom to top, both ways. But it has to be there in order to fix these problems. Number seven, standardize tasks and processes. How many times have you worked for an agency where they go, no, 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 hey, 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 hey yo, hey, bro, and, and this district, we don't do that. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, we don't do that. Oh, we don't use that form. No, we not. That's a problem. That has to be identified. That's a lack of leadership from the top because they're f- so far removed. They can't, they're having tr- difficulty getting out of their own way. They don't even know what's going on underneath them. But they have not identified that the department is not all working in unison. And believe you me, I saw plenty of that in my career. Employee empowerment give your people the power to make decisions. Of course, you have the oval rule with a supervisor. There has to be a certain technique, maybe, on dealing with those things. But empower the person on the field, the road, the walkway, wherever they are, to make these decisions. And that's it. Supervisors can overlook and gradually change if they feel some of these decisions, but empower those people on the line. <laughs> Number nine, use visual control, see and be seen. <clears throat> when you have an area that's a problem, first thing that that area needs is attention, and that attention has to come from the top. So those people that have been allowed to wear within their scope of their uniform stars, they should be in that area. People should see them, and they should see the people. They should firsthand look and see what the problem is, get feedback, empowering the employees, and letting everybody know, hey, I'm about to put you on blast if this doesn't change. Very important. All right, where where are we? Number 10, use visual controls so no problems are hidden. As soon as the problem is identified, you want to put out bulletins. You want to put out whatever you want on intranet within the agency. And let everybody know that we are questioning this right now. It is being questioned. In the interim, the following will be done. But it is no surprise to anybody that took a six-week vacation and said, well, when they, when you guys change that? 
three years ago? Where the hell was I? Let everybody know there's an issue. Very important. Number 11, use only reliable, thoroughly tested items. A lot of times administrators are in a rush to get a product out. Let me give you an example. I was tasked when I was in my agency with putting together a curriculum that totaled 56 hours uh, in totality. 40 was for certification purpose. 16 was for readiness at the field level. And almost, I would say, five months from the time we initially deployed that training, 56 hours, over 200 and something people, about 220, I believe the number was, was officially certified and trained in the 56 hours. I get called by people wearing three and four star, and they ask me, who came up with the 16 hours? And I looked at them and I said, that would be me. And approvals? And I looked at them and I go, yeah, we have approvals for everything. And they go, oh, so you sent it out, right? Now, if the plug is, if, if the switch is not connected to the plug, you're not going to get any electricity. Folks, there's a mental breakdown here. If you're that far in the chain and you don't know that there is a chain of command. But of course, I had gone through the chain of command. They had signed off on all this stuff. But somebody somehow didn't like something. So all the other administrators started tap dancing backwards. And everybody just said, I don't know where this came from. All of a sudden, they were all on the six-week vacation. And none of them were anywhere around. But that's not the story. The story is they were disconnected from the socket in the electricity. They don't know what's going on. But I had reached the level of approval. Everybody got it. And I had the proof. So that's an important item, too. Number 12, grow leaders, mentorship. There are specific people that agencies have to have the power to say this person has potential. Groom that person, mentor that person, which is going to mean changing or modifying their work schedule in order to give them that quality mentorship and groom them up the chain. It's been done many, many times. It is nothing new. But when you do that, there will be a whole lot of haters in that agency because the society of all agencies have allowed haters to breed like cancer and allowed to be opinionated. That's not a good thing because they're just paid employees. So grow leaders, that's an important one. Number 13, develop exceptional people and teams. That philosophy. Now, that's a, similar to mentorship, but you're also talking about teams. Things that work, you want to get people to become subject matter experts in them. So I'll give you an example. Let's say there's something wrong with patrol, certain uh, frisk policy or something similar to that. <coughs> so all of a sudden, the department has modified their policy. They do a little rollout to see how it works. They're getting feedback from leaders out in the field, and they're saying, good, good, you know, thumbs up. You've got your best guys now working those kinks out of the thing. Everybody's giving thumbs up. Put teams together. Put teams together. Oh, but it's costly. How can we do that? Jeez, you're going to bankroll us. That's another problem. We're on the way to talk about that too. But put these teams together where they become subject matter experts in these specific items, and you can move them around the agency so the agency is getting enriched by that knowledge. Very important. Hard to train everybody at the same time, right, folks? All right, number 14. Respect 
your extended network or partners. Who's your ex- extended network and partners? Well, the state attorney's office, the public defender's office, the criminal justice, the courtroom, other agencies, the fire department, the corrections department, the police department. They're all partners. You want to treat them with utmost respect as you are trying to make some changes because you need people to support you, not to criticize you. Sometimes other agencies might not say a word about what you're doing, but all of a sudden you're getting fantastic results. And then they say, hey, you know what? That was pretty good. I, I like their style. Of course, this happened when, uh, from the Boston Police Department, they had moved uh, the theory to the NYPD in Compstat, where uh, agency leaders had to give a weekly presentation of why the numbers in their assigned station, precincts, or districts were high on crime than they were, let's say, a week or a month ago, and they had to give detailed explanations. It helped people kind of accountable in a public forum. Of course, today we do everything by social networking, so you don't get embarrassed. You just hide behind your cubicle and hit enter, and you send it out. <coughs> but that's, that's, um, that worked back then. That's an example of that. All right. So you want to respect your, your network. <coughs> Number 15, the big picture for the command staff, all to see. Everybody in the command staff has to be a part of that. You can't have somebody opting out. Uh, listen, 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 listen. I mean, let's get this straight. I'm the lieutenant in the property room, and I've been here 32 years. I've got nothing to do with traffic stops. That's your business. Get out of here. That philosophy isn't going to work. Everybody needs to get on board with the problem, and everybody's opinions are valuable as well. So we can't have people opting out. No, I don't think I'll do anything for the rest of my career. Okay, number 16, getting towards the end. Decisions decisions slowly by consensus. Well, this is not a democracy. This is a paramilitary organization. I make the calls. But before you make the call and make a fool out of yourself because all the little clowns underneath you want you to look like a fool, you want them to be accountable by raising their hands in these meetings saying this system is foolproof, and I guarantee it. Just not a signature on a piece of paper, and it goes up the chain, and then the chief takes the, he becomes the lightning rod, and he gets hit with criticism. So decisions by concession, by concession, consensus, sorry, as, as the executives start to give thumbs up on something. And lastly, number 17, relentless reflection, continuous improvement. The agency has to be relentless in its pursuit of excellence And that means some people's egos are going to be kind of destroyed, but it has to happen. That way, when there is a problem, everybody's going to jump on it to correct it. Now, criticism is easy, folks. The difficult part is recognizing that they may be right that you're falling short of the goal. And reconfiguring how you do things to make it work better. Better and better and better until it turns into excellence. Agencies have very difficult tasks to do these things because their time is so limited. They only have maybe a four-year chief or a four-year sheriff mayors and politicians which are moving things around are really hurting these agencies. But it became curious to me when I heard that the 
the United States government would lock in a director of the FBI, better known as Investigating Hairspray Agency. They would lock in their directors for a term of 10 years. Why would they do that, folks? Why 10 years? <coughs> they were ruled, uh, the FBI, by Jay Hoover for many, many years. We know that. But how come it can't flow like with the president? I mean, it could. I mean, the next president come in and say, ah, you know what, it don't work for me. I don't like that tie. You're out of here. But there would be criticism, and that we know because if you turn on the media, that'll tell you. But they lock them in for 10 years. So I came up with the idea, and I said to myself, we ain't reinventing the wheel. If it's good for them, it's good for us. So communities and community outspoken people should demand that their jurisdiction, town, city, county, elect their officials for a period to unlocking them in of maybe 10 years. Well, you can't do that with the sheriff because they're a constitutional officer and they're elected. That is correct. You'd have to change the Constitution. That might not work. But we could put that for appointed, like in the state investigative bodies or the city municipalities. Why are we so fast in just changing chiefs all of a sudden? I don't like this guy, so when I become mayor, I'm getting rid of them? No, you, you deal with what you have, and you, you kind of guide them in what your vision is, and they mix their vision in with yours, and that's how you get things done. But it's not happening that way. And what they are doing is that they're creating political hacks. Now, on our series number 89, Conservatives versus Liberals, myself and the cop, we're going to dive into how political hacks are created <clears throat> within law enforcement agencies and how they're, you know, all of a sudden uh, show up with four stars in their lapel and you say, okay, how did this happen? And everybody's wondering. So you're probably wondering right now, where in the world did you get this crazy clown list of yours that will never work? Well, <clears throat> the people that created the list were highly criticized by American society. And they kept on hashing away at what they believed. This is only a tidbit of what their philosophy, their philosophy is for excellence. Their philosophy for excellence is a more noble one. In other words, if you work for the company, you're a lifelong employee. They will treat you like their own. They have brought you into the fold. They will build you up. And our society doesn't do that. They're like, oh, this guy, he just graduated. Oh, he's, he's got two left feet. He's worthless. Regardless of the fact of what you have to deal with, you have to turn your product into a gem. That's the responsibility that the citizens should expect of their agency. Now, how do you get all these agencies in America to be of one accord to do this? Well, it's very difficult. But it starts from the top. So my question is, why is the FBI director locked in for 10 years and nobody else in the world is? That needs to change, folks. And it starts with you. Demanding. Now, some people might say, well, this is a good thing and it could be a bad thing because if you lock in the wrong fool, then we're in for a rough 10 years. That could be the case. But when there's accountability... And these folks take these positions. They know that their rear end will be held to the fire. They're going to have to do what they were hired to do, and that is to be the top cop, not the top politician, not the top spokesperson, not to be um, 
let's say, the pollster boy or girl for a specific cause. So it brings them back to their profession and what they should be doing. Now, the organization from the charts, the 17 pointers that I came up with, all come from the Toyota Motor Company. Highly laughed at by many Americans in the 70s. They brought these little cars over from Japan, the little trucks. Everybody just had a world of fun laughing. What in the world is this thing? These people, are they serious? And look what they've turned into, folks. So their philosophies work. Of course, they're brought up differently than we are. But there's no excuse for us to have such a lack of diesel mentality in trying to get all law enforcement folks to stay out of politics. I've said this in the past, and I'll say it again in closing. I get disgusted when I hear a chief of police or a sheriff of some type advocating for gun control and then saying, well, we're not trying to affect the ordinary citizen. That's not what we're saying. No, what are you saying? Because the word control doesn't go with the Second Amendment. If you still remember when you were in high school and you took civics, it doesn't match it's a mismatch in the sentence, folks. Control is not a part of the Second Amendment. Now, we discussed in prior episodes Justice Anthony Scalia that talked about the right to bear arms. You have to be able to carry those arms. And that society would, of course, put the norms. You can't walk around with a surface-to-air missile. I can carry it. There has to be limits. But... When they're talking control, they're dead spelling out what they're saying, number one. And number two, bad guys don't have freaking rules. So if you're a top cop in your agency, in your jurisdiction, where the hell have you been? Are you disconnected the electrical cord to the wall, to the socket? Do you actually not know that criminals don't follow rules? So who are you talking to? Joe, Joe, Joe and Jane, citizen? They've got to surrender their guns. they got to get controlled. they got to get thrown up on top of the hood of the car and get patted down now because of the fact that you're advocating for something in the sentence that says control while you're wearing your own gun and you're not a part of what you're advocating. Shame on you because that's not what the forefathers of this country wanted. They asked for a well-regulated militia, and if you are a card-carrying member of that militia, as, as far as uh, concealed weaponry, that's you and that's me. If you are of a state that doesn't need a license, and you carry rightfully so, and you are a law-abiding citizen, then you're part of that militia, too, that we're talking about. So the militia is not some created thing in the mind of some political hack. The militia are the people that are doing it. So in closing, we're going to have more of these series. I know a lot of people will say, well, that was freaking 55 minutes wasted listening to something that's never going to happen, which is probably true. But folks, we're not going to die for a lack of effort. You throw it out there and you hope that it carries because we're all responsible for this great nation to succeed. The social experiment is still in progress and we need to advocate for its betterment, not its destruction. As always, folks, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Nation. As always, I advocate that you continuously pray for yourself because without prayer for you, it's hard to pray for anybody else. Pray for yourself, for your families, for your community, and most importantly, for the agencies that serve you. And
guide her through the night with a light from above from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam God bless America